It's good to be able to worship together. We want God's rulership over all of us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a fellow by the name of Jonah. We've been in his uh, story for a few weeks now. We took a little jump from it last week, but we come back to Jonah chapter 3. And I asked the question, what would you think if you could find a way to move the heart of God? Imagine that God came to you and asked and said, you know, I'm planning to destroy your community. What if he came to Santa Ana? He's like, you're on a fault, so I'm going to open up that earthquake fall and everybody's going to swallow us up into it. And you would wonder, well, God, is there anything I could do about that? Could I possibly change your mind about destroying us? And if you knew how to change the heart of God, wouldn't you want to be able to have that opportunity? Whatever God's plans is to have an opportunity to move the heart of God, to not do what you don't want him to do, which falls under the category of his judgment against us because we're imperfect people. So this morning, I want to talk to you about what moves the heart of God. It's in Jonah chapter 3. There's an outline that's in the bulletin that looks exactly like the one that I have in my hand. I encourage you to follow along because there will be some things that we won't spend much time on but I want you to be able to see it. And I'd like to read the text for you. In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah has already been charged by God in chapter 1 to go to Nineveh to preach to them. He refuses to do so. He has already spent some time in the belly of a fish that vomited him on the land. And now he has a second opportunity to go to Nineveh. And he finally does go to Nineveh. Nineveh is a very wicked city, as we'll see in just a moment. But here in Jonah chapter 3, we find this in verse 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. And then the king says this wonderful thing. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. This is a very pagan, wicked king. And he's sort of putting out this little wish list that God might change. And then in verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So here's the contrast. God has an original plan. The original plan was to destroy Nineveh. In 40 days, I'm going to wipe you out as if you never existed. And then something happens, and God has a new plan. He decided, I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. I'm going to actually let you live. I've changed my mind. Now, we know that God does not change, but we do know that God's plans change. And if you and I have an opportunity to see the changing work of God 
in our lives and the lives of people that we know, what can we do that changes the plans of God for us and for those that need him as well? So let me break this down and show you the things that God noticed about these people and what he wants to see in us. Now Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew that if he preached whatever he preached, whatever message it was in fullness, not everything probably is included in the text that he said, but whatever is he preached, he preached this harsh judgment message. He wanted them to be able to know the judgment of God. It's kind of like my mother-in-law, my mean old mother-in-law who's now with Jesus, but I'd always affectionately call her my mean old mother-in-law, and she knew I didn't mean it except occasionally. <laughs> and my mother-in-law would always say when I used to preach every Sunday, she'd say to me, Sonny boy, shake him over the pit and make him smell the sulfur. <laughs> that's, that's kind of probably what Jonah was doing. So my mother-in-law would have loved Jonah in his judgment message. So she, she, anyways, she's with the Lord and she's perfect now. Nineveh was a wicked city. I'm going to have to talk to my wife after this message. Maybe she's falling asleep. I, no, no, she's awake. Here's what one of the rulers, one of the warriors of Nineveh said. Just to give you a little glimpse as to why Jonah didn't want to preach to Nineveh, not because he was afraid of Nineveh, he didn't want Nineveh to be saved. He wanted Nineveh to suffer. You know, last Wednesday was 9-11, and there's a lot of us, if we had been called by God to go preach to Osama bin Laden days after 9-11, most of us would have taken an assault rifle, as we hear about them so much today, and we'd love to put one right here. And God says, no, I want you to go to preach because I want to save them. Oh, you don't, I don't want to be in heaven with someone like that. That's where Jonah was living. Here's what the warrior of Nineveh said. This is his own writing. He says, I destroyed, I demolished, I burned. I took the warrior prisoners and impaled them on stakes before their cities. I flayed the nobles, as many as had rebelled, and spread their skins out on the piles of dead corpses. Many of the captives I burned in a fire. Many I took alive. From some I cut off their hands to, from, from writing. From others I cut off their noses, their ears, their fingers. I put out the eyes of many soldiers. I slew 260 fighting men. I cut off their heads and I made pyramids thereof. I slew one of every two. I built a wall before the great gates of the city. I flayed the chief men of the rebels and I covered the walls with their skins, and it goes on. Delightful, right? You came to hear that on a Sunday morning. But that's why Jonah doesn't want these people saved. That's why you can go back to the Middle East and you saw ISIS doing some of the horrible things that they did. This is the same territory. This is, this is the cultivated violence of some of those in that evil community. And Jonah didn't want them to be saved, but God's heart is so tender to even the worst amongst us and God's heart is so tender to even those who think they're the best amongst us. So really, there's a study on Nineveh, so evil, overtly, and Jonah, so evil in his heart because of his attitude. God wants to have compassion on both. Here's the way God sees us that moves his heart. First of all, 
when we experience this authentic belief in God. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, one of the great sentences in that chapter is this one. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They believed. Now, we don't know why they believed so quickly. There's a little suspicion because in 765, there was a plague that went through Nineveh. Then 759, another plague went through Nineveh. In 763, there was a solar eclipse where Nineveh was blacked out. And a lot of people think in historical terms, he was softening the hearts of the Ninevites that, man, there's a lot of things outside of our control. So when Nineveh is hearing the words of Jonah, they've got this as a, as a backdrop to the fact that life is very fragile and a lot of our friends have died of the plague. This eclipse that occurred, we don't know. Are the gods angry with us? And then Jonah pr- shows up, preaches judgment. They're, they're ready. Sometimes God uses circumstances of nature and of other diseases so that our hearts are softened towards him so that I'm ready to repent. And so they were ready to believe, and they believed. Let me show you this word for believe to help give a little color to it. The word in the Hebrew is amen. And you don't see the rest. There's supposed to be two letters right there. It's uh, A-M-N-U-N. Amen. Amen is the Hebrew word for believe. Say amen with me. Amon. 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 You now know Hebrew. So when you go out... You can say, well, we learned Hebrew today. So Amon is to believe. Now let me add a little color to Amon. Amon also has been sometimes translated to nourish or to nurse. And when you understand that to believe in God is more than I believe that he exists because uh, even the demons believe that God exists. They were there in heaven with him. They've seen him. They know more and more about God than we do. So it's not to believe that he existed It's not to believe that the Bible is the Bible. It's it's a life-changing formation of my heart that places myself into a state of faith in God's hands. So the idea of nourish, the idea of nursing. And so this image is what it means to believe. This little infant in his mother's arms is Amon. That's what it means to believe. Because that little infant says, if he could articulate it, everything I need in life, I trust my mother to give me. If I am resting in her arms, I believe that she will hold me. If my stomach is hungry, I believe that she will feed me. If some action comes against me to hurt me, I believe that my mom will protect me. If my diapers are dirty, I believe my mom will clean me. Whatever this baby is experiencing in life, this baby believes in, her, in his or her mom. And so when the Ninevites said, I believe in God, they have become like these infants. And even Jesus said, if only you have the faith of a child that understands that everything about my life my physical, my spiritual, my emotional, my financial, my relational aspects, everything about my life, I rest in the arms of God. It's not just that he exists. It's just that everything about me is resting in the arms of God. So when you think about believing in God, remember this image. We need to become like a child 
that completely trusts God for everything. That's what it means to believe in God. Now, their belief in God was based upon three things, just quickly. They believed that the Word of God, it was preached by the Word of God, and so they heard the Word of God, and they responded to the Word of God as Jonah gave it to them. They also believed, secondly, this, down in verse 9, they believed in the saving work of God. Indeed, how do we know the the, uh, king said, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe he will not destroy us. They believed that God had the capacity to save them. And then thirdly, they believed in judgment that God is going to wipe them out. They believe that. Romans 10, 14 communicates to us the importance of the word. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And this is where you and I come in. Because we want people to believe in God to change their, the plans of God for judgment to redemption. But how will they believe unless they hear the truth of God's word like Nona preached it? You and I are messengers of that truth. Now, to help you feel as guilty as I feel about this matter, Penn of Penn and Teller, the magicians, we've shown this before, and so I thought we haven't seen it in a while, so it's a good time for me to sort of sharpen my guilt component as well. But Penn is an outright, outspoken atheist. He does not believe in God. But he's got a perspective that's worth listening to because he speaks to you and me, those of us who do believe in God, those of us who are resting in the arms of God, that if I believe that God has a judgment message for those outside of God, then maybe I should be doing something about communicating that. So here's what Penn says to us. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not, getting eternal life or whatever and you think that uh well it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize just leave me alone keep your religion to yourself uh how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a a Bible. If we really believe what I'm preaching, if I believe it and we believe it, then how much more do we have to get the message out? Because Jesus said this. I love this quote in John 3.18 that we'll see on the screen momentarily. In John 3.18 it says this. Jesus is speaking, He who believes in him, Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Jesus is preaching a very simple message here. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then he follows it up two verses later with this one, If you do not believe, you've been judged already because he has not believed. To not believe is to stand in judgment before God. So Jesus wants us to do something about it. Let me, let me put it in another way. There's a big lie that's out there. Satan's lie is this way. This way I like to put it. Satan's lie is that God sends me to hell if I am bad. 
And so you might hear that occasionally, but what a lot of people believe today is I send myself to heaven by believing in my good works. There's a, it's the biggest lie that's out there. Let me just illustrate. Just yesterday, I went to see uh, Frank Norton, one of our dear saints here. He's in a, a place over here in Anaheim Hills and had a good little visit uh, sharing with him the word and prayed with him. After I prayed with him, I looked up and there was a man standing to my right and he and I thought the same thought at the same time. We both thought, who are you and what are you doing here? And so, so I said, are you a friend of Frank's? He says, no. I said, oh, uh, how do you know him? I'm his roommate. And so he, there was another bed there. I said, well, that's interesting. His name is Jack. So I said, well, Jack, I was just praying with Frank, and, you know, I'd be happy to pray with you if you'd like. And Jack says, no, I'm not really worthy of being prayed for. The guy upstairs, he, he really wouldn't want to hear about me. So there's that open door. Well, Jack, I've got good news for you. God would love to know about you. He says, well, I believe the Bible. The Bible says we should love each other, and I think we should love each other, Jack said. And, and uh, you know, I've tried to love as well as I can, and I think I've loved people enough to sort of get me to the pearly gates of Peter. I said, well, would you like to go through those pearly gates to get all the way into heaven? And he says, no, I, you know, I'm not, really, I'm not really worthy of that. And so I said, I wanted to preach everything I'm talking about right now. So I said to Jack, well, Jack, guess what? Jesus came to take away your need of good works to get into heaven. Jesus came to take away your sin so that he could place you into that heaven. Jesus has come to do all the work for you. He said, I don't want God controlling my life, he said. Government does enough of that. I don't want God to do it too. That's what he said. He said, well... God's just given you an opportunity to decide if you'd like for Jesus to take your sins and give you his righteousness so that you can go to heaven someday. Well, I don't know. So what I want to explain to him is this. He says, I send myself to hell by not believing in Jesus. Everybody stands in a position of judgment before God by not believing in Jesus. Everybody's going to hell whether we do good or bad deeds. But Jesus came along to send me to heaven by his good work as I believe in him. So I shared with Jack that, Jack, Jesus has done all this work for you so that you can go to heaven someday. He said, ah, okay. I said, would you like to decide to believe in Jesus today? He says, no, I'm not ready. I thought, boy, if he had only said, yes, let's do it, that'd be a wonderful story for you right now. We've got to trust the work of God because I said to Jack, said, Jack, I'm merely a messenger. I just want you to know the truth. And you and I, we just need to let people know the truth. The truth of Satan's lie that I can work myself to heaven, but God sends me to hell. The truth of God that I'm already going to hell in judgment, but Jesus wants to change that traje trajectory to send me to heaven. God says, I want to change my mind about you, Dave. I want to change my mind about you, Jack. I said, well, do you mind if I just pray with you before I go? And finally he said, yeah, would you pray for me? Pray for me. And so I prayed for Jack, that Jack would know Jesus. I said, well, Jack, maybe I'll see you again. I hope you come back. I hope you come back. Jack's attitude changed a little over the course of that time. 
That's what we need to be all about. When God begins to open doors, we need to walk through those doors, but present the truth of what it means to believe. And when we believe, we want to see change. This is what happens in Jonah 3, 5 through 8. Notice the changes. I listed some of them in the outline. I'm going to go through this very quickly. But here, when Jonah, when Jonah preached this message and the people believed in God in verse 5, they called a fast and they put on sackcloth. I love the image of sackcloth as this image that in the Old Testament days is a heart of sorrow and sadness. It's, it comes out of this heart of repentance over my sins. So they're, they're emotionally very sad over their past sins, from the greatest of least to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. And notice this, what he says, Jonah records this. He laid aside his robe. That means that this king is saying, no longer do I stand in power and position. I put aside my power, I put aside my position, and I stand before God empty as everyone else stands before God. Repentance that is true is sorrowful, sorrowful over sin. It is putting aside my own position, my own pride, my own power. I put that aside as well. And he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles. Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. What I love about verses 7 and 8 is it shows that it's this idea of repentance is not just about me, but it's everything that I own, everything that I have, every beast that I own. This is my business. This is my property. These are the things of value to me. I put all that under the hand of God. I submit all that to the Lord. I don't hold back anything. My whole life is emptied before God. That's what it means to be repentant. It's not I'm sad that I got caught. It's this idea of complete submission to the work of God in my life. Like an infant, I put everything that I have into the hands of God, including my possessions. Everything comes under his banner of redemption. And in Nineveh, by the decree of the king, he says, don't let the man-beast do anything, cover them with sackcloth. And then this last verse is key to repentance, and I put it on the screen. But let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way, from the violence which is in his hands. This word, this Hebrew word for turn, is also in other places translated repent. Repentance is turning from sin. It is one day doing this sin, the next day I am not because I am changed. I've placed my hands like an infant in the hands of God. That's why Paul preached this. Paul kept declaring that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. If I'm truly repentant, I'm doing deeds appropriate to repentance. I get concerned that churches like ours and that many of us can attend a service like this and, and maybe we're sort of sad occasionally about some of our sins, but we've, we've never done that true business with God where I place everything I am and all my sins before God for his forgiveness and then my life changes. It is no longer the same. Nineveh is a beautiful story of the redemptive work of God to change a heart. And then what happens is the heart of God is changed. The heart of God's plans are changed because the hearts of men and women of Nineveh have repented. When I believe and I repent, I change the heart of God. 
I move him into this realm of redemptive compassion. And so God did and will relent from judgment. That's why in Jonah 3.10 it says this, God changed his mind. When God saw their deeds that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented. This word relented uh, can actually mean to breathe a big sigh of relief. It's like, God, I'm so thankful that you have repented. I didn't want to judge you. I didn't want to destroy you. And I am so relieved that I see your heart of faith and repentance. So God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Everyone stands under the judgment of God until by faith and repentance we turn to Jesus who removes that judgment from us. And God wants to do it for you. This last week, I read about it in the newspaper about a fellow by the name of Danny Holmes. Don't know him. Somewhere back east. But the newspaper two weeks ago told the story of Danny Holmes. He's already in jail for another crime. But he listened to a song called Redeemed. And as he listened to the song called Redeemed, the words of the song spoke to his heart so that he confessed of another crime that he had committed. He was going before the judge. He was going to declare himself not guilty of first-degree murder. But he listened to the song called Redeemed, and as he listened to the words of the song, it changed his heart. His heart became one of faith and repentance. And he confessed. He went before the judge. His mother's sitting in the courtroom. His mother can't believe what she's hearing as her son goes up. I did murder that man, and he was sentenced to first-degree murder for the rest of his life in prison. He says, I want to go to prison, Mom, because God has changed my heart. And when I go to that prison cell, I'm going to be his evangelist to preach to all the other prisoners around me. Then he made this statement to the judge. I'm 30 years old, and I've been fighting for nothing all my life. I've been fighting for gangs, Holmes said in the court. I ain't never fought for anything that made sense, but I knew the Lord was telling me to fight for him this time. I just knew he was stirring on my heart. You and I probably all know people where God is stirring on their hearts, and he's waiting for us to communicate to them the beauty of what God has done. Allow your heart to be seasoned by the same song that seasoned the heart of Danny Holmes that caused him to call before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Pray a prayer before God if you're like Nineveh and you need to change and repent of some area of your life. Or maybe you're like Jonah, where outwardly people look at you as somebody significant, but inwardly the heart, the heart attitude is soured. Let the song bathe over you as the words are on the screen. Listen to this and see how God might change all of us as he changed Danny Holmes.
look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. Child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me yet. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. Now I'm not who I used to be. I don't have to be the old man inside of me Cause his days are long dead and gone Because I've got a new name A new life, I'm not the same I hope that will carry me home I am a You set me one more thing to you to think about. Think about this world of Nineveh and Jonah. No one's too sinful to receive like Nineveh. No one's too good to need like Jonah, the forgiving work of Jesus Christ. If you see yourself aligned with the Ninevites and some of the things that you know you've done, that God knows that you've done, you stand under God's banner of judgment, God says, change my heart. God says, change my heart by coming in faith and repentance to me because I want to redeem you. I want to set you free from that. Or maybe you're in the Jonah category. A lot of us, like myself, can be outwardly doing all the good things, but inwardly in my heart, I felt sort of the spirit of rebellion against God. I don't want to do that. I don't like this. My crutchy attitude towards this. 
And I've got this attitude problem in my heart like Jonah when God called him to go to Nineveh. He says, I don't want to do that. It's not fair. They shouldn't get away with it. And sometimes my heart, externally I can look prophetic, but internally I can be as bad as Nineveh. So I invite you as we close out our service with one more song to prayerfully bring yourself before the Lord and say, God, is there something in my life that you would have me repent of so that I can walk in faith like an infant in your mighty, loving, compassionate arms that I change your heart, Lord, into a heart of redemptive compassion for me. So God awaits that. He loves that. He will sigh of the sigh of relief like he did with Nineveh. Thank you. Because I want to redeem you too. And wherever you're at, from wherever you're going, to join with me, God says, in my eternal plan for you. And if you have a friend or a neighbor, a classmate, a business worker, that maybe is like Nineveh or maybe like Jonah, we need to go to them. We have this thing called each one reach one. We go to those that need the same message. And we're just messengers like Jonah was, imperfect messengers. But let God do that mighty work and those that surround us. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to pause before you, to reflect upon really a great moment in history where an entire city came before you in sackcloth and ashes. And everything they owned and every part of their heart and lives, they submitted to you. The king put aside his robe because he was unworthy of the power and the position that he had, and he emptied himself to come to you. I pray, God, that we would empty ourselves wherever we are at in the spiritual journey of life and say, God, I put myself in your hands like a loving mother, like a loving father. Care for me, forgive me, cleanse me, make me whole, and provide for me all that I need. For I believe and I repent. And for those friends and family members that need this, God, may we be those messengers of love and grace that they too will touch your heart for redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to pray, we have prayer points on either side. Love to pray and support you in this journey.